Hello and welcome to this PSG Think Big series podcast. In this program, Bruce Whitfield speaks to Mbesi Letiana about the future of the political landscape. Welcome to our Think Big series brought to you by PSG. I'm Bilola Gounden, Head of Internal Audit at PSG. PSG is a leading financial services group with an extensive national footprint in South Africa and a presence in Namibia. We've been in operation since 1998 and pride ourselves on providing a bigger picture approach to our clients' financial needs, from asset and wealth management to short-term insurance. We offer our clients access to a wide range of insurance and investment products based on comprehensive advice. Our clients benefit from access to proprietary products and solutions, as well as a comprehensive list of third-party products. The Think Big series is a collection of dialogues with leading speakers hosted by award-winning financial journalist, Bruce Whitfield. We aim to bring our audiences independent insights that help them formulate their own opinions on some of our country's most pressing issues. Uncertainty and challenges continue to abound, but armed with knowledge, we are better equipped to chart the way forward. We are going to the polls on the 1st of November. South African politics remains as contentious, eventful, and challenging as ever. What is the future of the South African political landscape? And has the COVID pandemic hurt or helped President Ramaphosa? In today's session, Bruce talks to Professor Mthabisi Nkletiana, who holds a PhD in political studies from the University of Edwatistrand and is currently Associate Professor at the University of Johannesburg. He is the author of numerous publications and writes regularly for various local and international newspapers and magazines. He is also a prominent political analyst who has filled out TV screens on numerous occasions. Professor Ntlechiana is a member of the editorial board of the Journal of Public Administration, a board member of the Council for the Advancement of the South African Constitution, and a fellow of the African Leadership Initiative. Our social media campaign is hashtag ThinkBigPSG. The series is free, shareable, and open to anyone interested, whether you're a PSG client or not. So without further delay, over to you, Bruce. Bailolo, thanks very much. Prof, give me a perspective, please, on the state of play of South African politics at the moment. It feels so messy and so hateful and so nasty and, frankly, absolutely desperate uh it is it is at times i think a little bit depressing um because we spend most of our time trying to solve things that have happened in the past um we have a lot of revelations coming up about corruption this and that especially corruption uh, at a time when we thought we have a new president where certain things would not happen but these things keep on happening. Uh, the audacity with which politician embezzle files. So, and yet we have challenges that we need to, to, to address, we need solutions. We need to start talking about the things that we are facing now and how we move forward. So we are a little bit stuck on the thread, Bruce. And uh, for us to forge ahead, I guess, we need to get a sense, we need to reset, have a new orientation. And I think part of um, reassuring ourselves that we have fully functional institutions, at least we have ethical leaders in charge. That is why it is important, even though depressing and tiring, 
to deal with the past, but we need to make sure that everybody who's dead in the system has been flushed out and we have new people. That gives us some level of confidence then in going forward. Uh, and I'm not sure that today's politicians are necessarily ready to flush. Um, you know, they're, they're still sitting with a bucket system of politics um, and not ready yet to, to really flush out the rot because there is so much, and it's across the political sphere, um, and until we start getting a criminal justice system that properly prosecutes those who are liable for many of the wrongs of the past, I'm not too sure that our politicians are ready to fully take this on the chin. Well, uh, in politics, we have this term cartel party. Uh, which basically means that it's a cartel that you have, each person is protecting the other. It's more like mafia style politics. And almost everybody has done something. Um, and they know someone who has done something equally bad, if not more. So they tend to protect each other. Um, essentially because the ruling party has pretty much been based on patronage. Uh, it's a, it's a neo-patrimonial party, pretty much. So, um, if I move against Bruce, I'm a little bit, uh, uh, scared that someone else might move against me. So it's better if we don't move against anybody in that way, we guarantee a little bit of peace. <laughs> And so, we've seen that play out. We've seen that play out recently. The huge reluctance of the president to act against William Kizer, for example. And I mean, all, almost you know, it, it's like the dog that's made a mess in the corner and then looks the other way, as if you're not going to notice, and trying to ignore the obvious problem. It's that sort of issue, I suppose, that really affects the quality of individuals within the political space. And we. I think that the, the one of the indicators that we are looking for is whether going into next year to the ANC's national conference, whether you might have a similar backlash as you did against Tabon Beg in 2007. Uh, remember most folks that stood up against Tabo and supported uh, JZ, it was because they were not really in support of JZ, but we're against Tabo's strong hand, uh, uh, clamping down on corruption, the Scorpion, and he had closed the space. Uh, and, and they thought they could use JZ as a Trojan house, as a, as a key to open up closed doors into patronage. Um, and now you have a similar thing. Cyril Ramaphosa clamping down on corruption through the Zondo Commission. Uh, reconfigured institutions, and quite a number of people are now having to pay the price they are being chased. Are you going, is Mkise, might Mkise, for instance, be the center of that mobilization? Uh, can Ace, maybe Ace Mahashule might not quite work as well, but Mkise is there, his case hasn't, hasn't started yet. So there's always a concern that the, the, the prosecuted, uh, that dishon that dishonorable might try to galvanize and, and uh, uh, launch some kind of a back, uh, uh, fight back against the president. Let's come back to this point in a bit, because we're kind of stepping four steps ahead of where we need to be right now, because in the short term, how important is this local government election, which is due in the next couple of weeks, 
and because it feeds directly into that particular narrative. Um, and, and that's the desperation one gets a sense of at the moment, um, is people are crisscrossing the country. It doesn't matter how big the crowd and how few masks there are. <laughs> um, people are talking to any crowd that will turn up for a T-shirt or not. Well, local government elections are pretty much an indicator of how parties will do at a national level. Well, the results, to some degree, have been somewhat the same. Um, so you want to do well here as a boost to uh, national elections later on. And also, uh, you also want to test the effectiveness of the organization. The appeal of the president is a trial run. Um, in this case, the idea within the ANC is that the president is more popular than the party. So if you use him as much as you can, then you are testing his um, resonance with the public. Uh, what kind of message, what kind of image, photo shots, and all sorts of things can it do? Um, so depending on how it does now, then you can make any changes that are necessary for national elections. So and what's, really so, what's so bizarre about South Africa, though, is you can have a complete collapse at local level. You can have sewerage flowing down the street. You can have evidence of corruption everywhere in local government, yet national almost triumphs over local. This isn't a local government election. This isn't about what's happening in my backyard and your backyard. This is a battle that is happening at a far higher level. And it is bizarre to me as somebody who lives in a fortunately high functioning community that people would choose to continue living in squalor and not vote for alternatives. Well, uh, it's slightly different actually in practice. Um, yes, of course, you, with, with every party, you, you try to throw in whatever works for you. Bring in your most popular guy, um, in this case, the ANC, they have their president. And of course, the president can, can excite the crowd at that moment when he's there. But with local government elections, that you still need a local machinery to sustain the campaign. Uh, you still need to, you know, walk out your candidates in front of the queue, in front of everybody and say, these are the guys that are going to be in charge. And so there will be some degree of engagement with the local leaders that are going to be put up. So, so there is sufficient scrutiny of the local leaders that are going to be part of local government. And when folks don't agree, they have turned away. I mean, 2016. Yes, 2016, uh, in places like Pretoria, um, uh, Nelson Mandela Bay, for instance, traditional ANC voters did not switch uh, in any large number to the DA. But what they did was to stay at home. Hmm. So the turnout in traditional ANC strongholds was extremely low. For instance, in Summerstrand somewhere, you would have the DA winning by almost 10,000 votes, right? That is their stronghold. And the ANC in their own stronghold, somewhere in Ward 28 in Zwede, for instance, they would win by 3,200 votes, right? So in terms of proportional representation, uh, proportional votes, uh, the DA would get a lot more. Um, in fact, the DA in, in Nelson Mandela Bay got about 20,000 votes, more than theirs. Uh, so, so people have a way of exercising that punishment 
uh, they may not be ready yet to switch parties, but it is also incumbent on parties to, to, to attract, to entice these voters. And currently, really, the, the, the DA is not entirely the most attractive. I, I want to get on to sp party specifics right now, because we need yeah. to look at the Democratic Alliance. We need to look at uh, the, uh, the, the, the serious er errors of judgment in this campaign so far. We need to look at the EFF and as to whether or not they're going to make any inroads into any, yeah. uh, any, into any municipalities. Um, what, what is so interesting is how the president, Cyril Ramaphosa, um, you know, wishing Jacob Zuma well and hope he recovers soon from his apparent terminal illness, because that's the condition of being released from prison early on, <laughs> on, on medical parole. Um, but paying homage to the president when he went to KZM recently uh, and sort of thanking him for his support of the ANC. The shadow of Jacob Zuma, just how largely does it loom? over this election for Sir Ramaphosa? Well, JZ is a political royalty in KZN uh, because of the role he played there in the early 90s. I mean, he played a massive role uh, restoring peace, building the ANC. Uh, he, by and large, reintroduced the ANC in KZN and dispelled this notion that the ANC was a closer dominated party. He gave the ANC a familiar Zulu face and JZ is as Zulu as they come, right? So if someone like JZ could be a leader of the ANC, so whoever had the stereotype that the ANC was for Corsas, that stereotype pretty instantly melted away yeah. uh, because of the personality and the image of JZ. And so JZ really was the ANC, became the ANC, and, and a kind of a father figure. Uh, people like Harry Kuala, for instance, that passed away. Uh, Kumed, uh, former uh, president of the UDF, was no longer a strong feature. So JZ was unchallenged as a senior, calling the shorts, um, a kingmaker pretty much after he had left. So he still occupies. Um, that role. And he's also likable. See, that's the thing with JZ. He might be a crook, but he's an extremely likable crook. <laughs> so, no, but that's the thing. He's a charming individual. He Butter wouldn't melt in his mouth. I mean, one-on-one, -on -one, Jacob Zuma is one of the nicest guys you're ever going to meet. He really is. Uh, and that is his yeah. power. That, that is his charm. It's remarkable. It really is. Cyril Ramaphosa's got that too. He's got the warmth. He's got the charm, but he doesn't seem to connect in the same way as Jacob Zuma does with the number of people. And that's the big difference. Especially in KZN. Um, because the, the, the brokers, the JZ is more of, of a broker that connects the mm. province to national. Uh, he's very respected. So his word carries a lot of weight. Um, and the provincial leaders in that part of the country know that if they don't want to have JZ against them, for instance, going to a provincial conference to contest office. So they would rather have JZ on their side. And the ANC as a party would prefer to have JZ somewhere saying nice things about them going into local government elections. So you, you, you are minimizing uh, disadvantages. Mm. It's better to have them in than have them have him opposing you, um, because already, I mean, they 
2016, they went down to 56% in Etebuini, up down from 61 or so, I think mm. it was. Um, so, so it's going to be a very tough election, uh, especially uh, keeping in mind that they just had that, that uh, upheaval, destructive upheaval just recently in July. I want to get to that point as well, because whether or not that's politically relevant, just while we're talking about strong individuals and the face of political parties, for the life of me, I cannot remember the IFP leader's name. And that's not surprising, considering that the face on the election posters, the few that may exist in KZN, is the face of Mangosuta Mutilesi. Uh, and when asked, the IFP said, well, Colonel Saunders is the face of KFC. Why can Butelezi not be the face of the IFP? Because he is the party, isn't he? Uh, is he? He is, he is the party. And I think, I think when he dies, the party will die as well. Uh, no one knows the current leader and no one cares to know the current leader. As long as Butelezi is there, uh, there's reassurance. Um, because it's all about tradition and Mutelezi has been an, an icon or iconic of Zulu tradition in a way, even rivaling uh, the king. Um, you know, politically, even those who disagree with him politically, uh, but revere him for the cultural, cultural symbolism that he, he wills, right? Um, so, so he remains, he remains a, 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 an asset to the IFP, mainly because of his association with uh, tradition. But as soon as he dies, then the party will die. Talk to me about the violence in mostly KZN, but parts of Gauteng as well. It was nine days of unabated looting before security forces stepped in. Uh, from that perspective, um, a lot of people have actually praised security forces for not going in Marikana-style guns blazing and, and adding insult to injury. From a state of mind for a country and from a global perspective, um, absolute neglect of duty in terms of a central government allowing a province to burn for as long as it did. Is this a political issue for this local government election? Or is it, does it sort of play out later on, perhaps? It depends on how the various parties exploit it, uh, but it's a serious indictment. It's something that we should be worried about. Um, that the security departments or ministries didn't pick it up. Uh, and it's, I mean, it's, it's because you, you depend on your intelligence to pick this, this kind of thing up. Um, and for this is an indictment even on the president. When you come in, uh, you inherit a new administration and one of the troublesome ministries uh, was identified as uh, intelligence. So you have to pay attention. Any president uh, pays attention to the intelligence because that source of information for what is happening won't be everywhere all the time. You need to know. Um, this president doesn't, does not seem to have paid attention to that. Uh, well, of course, he appointed uh, uh, Minister, Minister Giorgio. Maybe he trusted Minister Giorgio. That's fine. But even if you trust someone, you still have to pay close attention to ensure that what you want to happen does happen. It's monitoring. You delegate as president, then you follow up to ensure that stuff happens. And you also coordinate a cluster committee of security related. So you convene meetings, right? 
And so as chairperson of a meeting goes, ordinarily you set up the agenda, you find out, uh, have you done this? Have you, you know, so where are we in relation to what you had agreed uh, earlier? So you follow up, you keep uh, tabs on what is happening. Uh, it doesn't look like he was doing any of that. That is why when all this hell broke loose, Sile was saying, I didn't get the memo about this or that. They once said, but I did send you. So, so then, then, then the question then becomes, in those meetings that the president chaired, what the hell were they talking about? They but it also comes down then to, to this very messy politics within the ANC as to who you can and can't afford to get rid of because you are trying to broker some sort of motley alliance of individuals who you hope will support you when the time comes so that you truly really can have a positive impact on the politics of the country and the economics of the country, perhaps after the next party election. Uh, and so the country gets held to ransom by the internal politics of dysfunction within the ANC. Of course. Um, I mean, I, I think I think Kwele uh, is just as guilty as Minister, former Minister Nagula, as well as Lyonjo. Um, so, so this uh, um, noise uh, that people were making about Mapisa Nagula being fired as minister and reappointed as speaker mm. was somewhat unexpected uh, because the other two were also not punished. Jojo was shifted from one ministry to another. Fale remained as Minister of Security, even though he was just as guilty, if not worse than Mapisa Nakula, for instance, right? So, so that was also an admission of guilt on the part of the president that uh, maybe he should have done more. Uh, he was just as guilty as everybody else. And Fale, in his case, he's a fairly powerful person. I mean, the president needs Fale especially because it comes from Kaiser and, and he's been fighting this battle. He has been with the president since before 2017. Um, and and one, of the, one of the curious things actually, and this is, this is something that is becoming increasingly important that we have to pay attention to, um, not be dazzled by appearances, uh, slogans of renewal, right? Tumamina. Uh, Fele, one of the things that really uh, upsets me is that Taylor refused to renew Robert McBride's contract as director of IPAD when everybody was saying McBride had done a fabulous job. And we all knew that there was corruption he was pursuing within the police. There were reports of corruption and McBride was on top of it. So here's a guy who's done a good job. His contract is up for a new one. Normally what happens elsewhere in the civilized world and just following common sense, the guy who has done his job well is rewarded by a renewal, but not in the case, not in Taylor's world. Certainly no. that's not what uh, ANC MPs thought. Instead they decided, no, F him. We are not going to renew this fellow's contract. I mean, what is that? No, no, and it's this desperate attempt, of course, to hold on to the, the patronage networks and this desperate attempt to not chuck out the guilty. And that is, it's devastating. It really is and for a country that should be boxing far in a far higher sort of uh, category, I suppose, worldwide, because we've got the capability and the skills and everything else. We let ourselves down so, so badly. We really do. 
Talk to me then about, I mean, one of the consequences and the negative consequences that came out for the Democratic Alliance out of um, the, the chaos of July and the riots was its really ham-fisted response to the Phoenix killings. Um, and, you know, I don't know what its intention was, putting up posters, calling people heroes for, uh, my assumption is that they thought they would tell people that they were heroes for defending their property when the state didn't, but it was very successfully communicated as it's okay for Indian people in case they didn't kill black people. Um, and that was the pervading uh, narrative. The party didn't know when it was beaten and kept on riding that particular dead horse for for days after it lost the, that particular debate. Um, and I wonder how much damage it's done itself, not only there, but more broadly. Well, uh, that, that tells you, uh, it's kind of revealing of a fundamental shift that has happened within the party. I think they have decided that they, they are going to focus on minorities. They have given up on the black vote. Um, and one strong indication of that was when they made it difficult for Muslim Maimane to, to remain leader of the party. And they brought in Helen Ziller, uh, who quickly started making all sorts of conservative and controversial statements that were really meant to offend and attract people. So that was a shift. Um, focus more on the minorities. So this recent poster is really a, a, a manifestation of that. Uh, you know, we won't get black folks, so let's focus on Indian voters. Um, but it's also stupid. It is really dumb um, because they could have still exploited what happened without necessarily being racist. Um, the, 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 the mere occurrence of this upheaval is an indication of uh, a party, a ruling party that is inwardly focused, um, instability within uh, people who are prone to use violence to get what they want. So there are all sorts of things that we can throw at the ANC, that you cannot trust these people to prioritize the public good. So, you know, that, that material can be compressed into a smart slogan. They can think, uh, well, one hopes that they can be creative. So obviously, they, they, they are not as creative. They are not as smart. So what they decided to do was to go for simple, to, to appeal to people's base instincts. When you use racism, uh, it, it's, it's, it, it's an indication that you can't think creatively about anything else. I'm curious as to how you say that they've sort of given up on trying to get black votes. I look at the candidate lists of the Democratic Alliance across many of the metros. You can you know, exclude Cape Town from that particular one, but places where they've got a fighting chance of winning back uh, metros, whether that be Gauteng, whether that be in Kloeche, in Nelson Mandela Bay, whether that be in Swane, um, there is a very firm black demogra demography in the candidate lists of the party. Uh, that's why I'm curious that you say they've given up on trying to attract a black vote. Well, it also depends on the kind of individual leaders that you have, um, because there are two contrasting debates within the DA. Is either you, you, you pursue the black vote, you pursue transracial politics, which means attracting black folks. And when you go to talk to black folks, you are, you'll have to speak to certain issues, racial redress, social justice, this and that. So you have to be firm 
on issues of, of um, social justice. Musi was firm from the very beginning when he was elected in 2015. He says, if you say race does not matter, then you don't see me. Uh, race does matter. And he made that part of his tenure. Uh, and so it may well be that the black folks that are there maybe are not as strong. Uh, they, some of them believe, in fact, some of them believe, I think their policy chief, uh, whose name I forget, lady. Gwen um, Gwen, yeah. Yeah, she's not big on racial redress. Uh, issues of affirmative action, race doesn't matter, those kind of folks. Uh, so it may well be that they, they are a lot more comfortable with, with the black leaders who think that race doesn't matter and who get just as irritated as them with the constant talk of race. So, so yes, you can have, you can have a multicolored ticket uh, but the key thing is, what do those people talk about? Uh, are they insistent on race or are they just simply willing to is, accept? Is political rhetoric really more important than delivery of basic services? Um, because that seems to be what you're suggesting. I mean, I look at the Athol Trollope tenure, for example, the brief tenure um, with, within Kabecha, and I, I look at that and I look at the calamity that succeeded him when the UDM put their guy in. Um, and, and that got very messy in, in terms of the politics there. Um, and service delivery collapsed. Um, and there was a significant regression in what local government was supposed to do in that, in that, in that metropolitan area. Surely it's not just about the rhetoric. Of course not. Uh, I mean, the people, people can see through the rhetoric if it's not based on any reality. Mm. Um, Rhetoric is more believable if it is backed up by some evidence. Um, the DA, the DA can, can, can say a lot of things about uh, being a better local government than theirs. And I mean, a few days ago, I saw their ad where they talk about getting um, awards for better delivery. And, and it's, it's true, they, they, they're a lot better. Uh, where they govern than the ANC. Um, even the Auditor General says that, has been saying that for the last, I don't know, many years. And so if you have to make an ad, then why not talk about it? Talk about your strengths, not about your, your, your yeah, and pick on your opponent's weaknesses. But yes, it was clumsy um, yeah. and, and ill-advised. And they've been, I mean, a lot, I don't know who does the marketing for the Democratic Alliance, but it leaves a lot of lot to be yeah. desired for people standing on rooftops, waving flags, wishing they were dead. Um, some of the expressions on faces that we saw um, in that very, very ill-judged campaign, probably about a year ago now. Probably the most surprised party of the national elections, uh, whenever those happened, 2019, um, was the Freedom Front Plus. And uh, for the first time, I'm seeing Freedom Front Plus posters in places that I've not seen posters for more conservatively aligned parties since 1994, since uh, um, the, the Conservative Party, which and the Herstachta Nationale Partei um, of, of the Nationalist Party era, you're beginning to see Freedom Front Plus posters all over the place. And that's digging into um, the, the loss of votes that led to Musi's departure uh, as, as head of the Democratic Alliance. Could they continue to surprise on the upside and continue to corrode what the DA thought they gains they were making? Well, it's it's a the the resurgence of uh, FF plus is an indication of the dilemma within white politics. 
and also an indictment on how the ANC has handled the issue of race and affirmative action. Uh, white folks generally have never wanted to own up uh, to the fact that they were beneficiaries of it. When you had the TRC commission, people were uncomfortable with the kind of stuff that was coming out of there. The police were torturing on behalf essentially of the white community. So there was a sense of shame and not wanting to go there. And when you started talking of reparations and this and that, and, and quite a number, the dominant voice within the white community was that, let's let the past in the past and, and move on. Um, and so there was that discomfort, not wanting to own up, because if you own up, then you accept capability, it means you might have to do something. But it was better denied that it never happened than they move forward. However, the ANC and everybody else would not let white folks forget about that. So, you know, they kept on talking about reparations, the need to focus on disadvantaged communities, the need for racial, racial redress. And white folks became more and more annoyed with that. And Tony Leon noticed that and decided that she's going to reorient uh, the DP, the new DA, into a defender of white privilege. That's what it did from 2000 onwards. And that's how then uh, former supporters of the National Party, as well as former conservative, rather conservative voters, kind of shifted more under the banner of the DA. Um, and of course, that's how the DA grew. But at some point, uh, Ryan could say, I mean, told, uh, told Tony, look, Tony, if you really want to, to take over from the ANC, we need to look beyond the white folks mm. and go to. And so in doing that, we, we, we need to embrace a multiracial leadership. Uh, let's think of new leaders. And they were in favor of Arthur Trolley, because Arthur was from the Eastern Cape, is fluent in Corsa. Uh, but then Helen Ziller really made herself into a, a forceful candidate in that she had ruled the party in the Western Cape, and the Western Cape was the base of the DA, so they could not overlook her. And she did have a little bit of a progressive a portfolio of being a journalist and progressive journalist and all that. And so they thought maybe um, Helen might be able to get them beyond uh, the racial line, right? Uh, and she managed um, when she had Musi in, when she had Mazibuko in, and, and they partly won or gained in 2016 because of their non-racial politics. Mm. Well. Even though there were still tensions, I mean, Helen, was opposed to a lot of things. And that huge fight she had with Mazuboko was over uh, racial redress, for instance. Um, you know, so, so when they lost the way they did, about 300,000 votes in 2019, they decided, no, uh, this is not a worthwhile risk. Um, let's protect the base. That's what they've decided to do. Let's protect the base. It's a risky move because if we persist on this on this path, because with Musi being in charge, they had to make certain gestures to black people, racial redress, this and that. So that and be critical of white racism and, and prejudice, whatever it surfaced. So Musi would be critical of swastika signs, this and that, calling out the racist. And so you know, the racist white folks didn't like that. They're like, you know, who's this guy? Who does who the hell does he think he is? You know, we we, we are fine like this. <laughs> That's, uh, okay, let's, let's then talk about the, the elephant in the room, which is the economic freedom fighters, the EFF, who 
um, also have not managed to capitalize on the failings of the ANC to an extent that I think Julius Malema would have liked the party to capitalize. I wonder why not. They, they, uh, firstly, they appeal to a particular constituency of young, young people, uh, young unemployed people. And, but that's a limited constituency because I think they make up about 13 or so, very little segment of the registered voters. Uh, I'm not sure about the exact figure, but it's the smallest segment. Um, and yet, and yet they constitute a, a large uh, uh, part of our population. So they are not keen voters. That's one. And secondly, EFF politics, their rhetoric is a little bit uh, alienating. Uh, at times it borders on, on being rude. Uh, and so... Sorry, uh, I missed that last bit, it borders on? On being rude. Being rude. <laughs> That's uh -huh. cool ideas. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so they, they offend a lot of folks, uh, especially older people. Um, at times you might agree with their critique of, you know, inequality or this or that. Uh, but ultimately, you you are offended by their um, belligerent, by by their choice of words, and 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 also you're not sure if they are clean themselves. That's that's the other. Uh, I mean, this VBS thing is still out there, uh, and Malema Malema became a millionaire without having worked anywhere in the country. So so there are question marks over their integrity. Um, they might just turn out to be best fakes, right? Imposters pretending to be something that they're actually not. So, so you know, um, you, you don't trust them entirely. You like their rhetoric now and then. And we enjoyed even more when they were going at JZ, at the ANC, right? Um, but now that JZ is not there, now that they have to stand on their own, um, there isn't much to boast about. Explain this weird tea party nonsense. Of, you know, there, there was a, a steady pro a procession of people that went to go and have tea, the great and the, the discredited and the deficient and the defunct and the EFF um, would turn up for tea at Ngandla. And Jacob Zuma welcomed everybody with open arms. I mean, that's the guy he is, but what on earth was the purpose for the EFF to go and embrace a guy they were instrumental in having removed? Well, uh, JZ has managed to uh, portray himself as a radical figure of sorts. Um, he, he's, he's defying the establishment. Uh, he wants radical economic transformation. Um, and he's being persecuted and fairly persecuted because he's exposing um, connivance between the political elite and, and white capital. So he claims, right? And there are people out there who believe that. And so if you want to embellish your credentials as a radical, it's good to be in the company of JZ. Uh, you know, and, and also he is he's not a great friend of Cyril. So you like the fact that he's having a dig at Cyril Ramaphosa and, and you want to associate yourself with that. So that was that was part of it. That was both posturing symbolical reasons than, than anything else. I mean, the EFF would do anything to get votes. Uh, well, most parties would, I guess. 
yeah, I, I'm 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 very keen for them to win a couple of uh, to win a couple of municipalities. Uh, I'm curious to see as to whether or not their particular brand of repairs might actually work. Um, and then uh, all of us sitting here watching that going, yeah, that's fine, as long as it's not my municipality or my ward, thank you very much. Um, because it is that lack of trust uh, that, that we talk about. What are the odds of them making political inroads, significant enough political inroads to actually get a couple of municipalities, even some some small towns, perhaps? Um, Free State is not doing well uh, lately. Uh, the ANC has done a huge, uh, great job of messing up the province. Northwest is the same thing. Um, so in those two provinces mainly, I think they are going to experience uh, uh, phenomenal growth. Um, here and there in Gauteng, because they are fairly popular in Gauteng as well, and Limpopo, but they, they, they are most likely will capitalize in the Free State and the Northwest, but not to a point where uh, they win the majority. Um, if they do get through as you know, executive leaders, it would be through a coalition. Uh, but I, I can't think of a municipality where they will get an outright majority. Maybe there, there is one or two out there, but I, I'm not familiar with them. How effective have they been as coalition partners? We've seen um, the unlikely coalition between Herman Mashaba and the EFF, for example, in Joburg, um, in the city of Johannesburg. We've seen them being very forceful in Swane. We saw them being instrumental with the UDM in, in Nelson Mandela Bay. And that was really the, the, the play there was to get the DA out rather than to, to do anything for the people of those communities. Um, you know, we look at that track record and you go, hold on a second, but you know, what is your goal? Is it a political goal or is it a service goal? Well, their, their guiding objective has been to cement themselves um, as national brokers, that they, they can make or break governments. Um, just after 2016 elections, they, they wanted to go, they were in negotiations with the ANC about forming coalitions, but they made all sorts of demands, including nationalization, dismissal of Jacob Zuma as president, uh, and the ANC realized that they could not agree to those things because it would be conceding a bit too much. It would affirm the EFF as a key broker in our politics. Um, so the ANC refused. So whatever they have done subsequent to that is to show that they can determine the balance of power in our national politics. And so if you take, for instance, uh, Nelson Mandela Bay, uh, they were voted, they were not part of the formal coalition with the DA. They were supporting uh, the DA. They have six votes there out of 120 seats. Right, um, and the DA had a very slim majority, about 61, 62% with the help of other partners. And so when the DA was kind of deserted by one or two partners, the EFF was there to support them. They supported them so long as they felt their support underlined the message that they, they can determine where ANC is government or not. Their, their point was really directed at the ANC. So once they had an issue of their own to pursue, uh, which had to do with uh, um, a bill on land appropriation in parliament, uh, the DA was opposed to that bill. 
EFF obviously supported it. And they decided that they are going to punish the DA for not supporting a bill in parliament. So they pulled their support uh, from the DA in PE, collapsed uh, that, that municipality. Arthur was voted out. And they knew that the guy would come in to replace Arthur was, uh, was, was a crook. You know, Bobani, and he was a buffoon, right? I mean, the guy was extremely unethical, very corrupt. And, and even before he came in in 2018, he had a reputation for being corrupt. Yeah. The siphoning of monies that were in, intended for public trans, transportation in PE. So everybody knew that he was corrupt. Uh, but the EFF supported him, made him mayor, and the guy did exactly. Uh, he simply, you know, he. He didn't, he didn't change, he didn't hide who he was, went in immediately, wanted tenders, wanted to employ people, and he, things became terrible. Uh, rubbish, potholes, this yeah. and that. At some point, the ANC, they, they, you know, they had to vote him out because uh, the, the Bishop government threatened to take over the municipality because things were not functioning. So the ANC was jolted into acting against him by threats of a takeover. So, so that tells you the EFF had aided and abetted that kind of mediocrity um, hmm. in a I mean, municipality we, we that was functioning well. We see so much dysfunction across so many municipalities. Clover, just before the riots, uh, of July announced that they were withdrawing from the, the municipality around Standerton, Lichtenberg, uh, around Lichtenberg. Um, Astral Foods went to court to force National Treasury to put an administrator, uh, ironically, the former uh, city manager of uh, Nelson Mandela Bay is now running the municipality around Standerton, um, and things are improving there. Um, gift of the givers. A gift to the givers move into dysfunctional municipalities, Makanda and others, um, and quickly restore services where local government has failed. And I just look at the state of local government and I look at our ambivalence towards local government and our complete focus on the wrong sort of stuff, which is the noise and the hype of national politics. And I wonder whether or not we as South Africans in our municipalities are going to be better off after these local government elections of 2021 uh, than we are right now. What's your view? Depends on who we vote into office. Um, we, the, the, there's one key thing that has got to happen. Well, obviously, we are where we are now because we have political leaders who look at the state as a source of livelihood instead of an instrument to transform lives. So for them, they are in there and they want to take as much as they can whilst they're still in there. But we're not being helped by the by legislation, by the way institutions are functioning. For instance, where a municipality fails, uh, we expect provincial government to intervene. But in most cases, uh, the municipality fails because of complicity with provincial leaders, especially in the ANC, because of factionalism. So the monies that get lost are stolen at the municipality make their way to provincial leaders or even national leaders, right? So the provincial leaders come in pretending that they are going to help. They appoint an administrator. Uh, they even fire that administrator before she or he finishes the job. 
Um, and then voila, they pretend that things are back to normalcy. I haven't heard of a municipality that was put through administration that eventually uh, worked, you know, performed uh, functionally or optimally. They, they are never restored to full functionality. Uh, the problems persist. So you, you can have potential culprits coming in to solve the problems that they have created. We need to take that responsibility away from provincial leaders and have independent arbiters who will make the judgment call when intervention must be made or when that intervention, uh, whether you've given enough time for that intervention to work and actually declare whether or not things have been solved. You can have politicians because politicians are not independent brokers in that process. So you need things like courts, for instance. The case of Makana, I mean, Makana corrupts and local people in Gramstown were calling on the provincial, they were writing letters, millions and millions of letters, pleading with the provincial leaders to intervene. They pretended to intervene and they fired the administrator before anything happened. Things went back to being worse and they had to go to court to plead with courts. So that we need to change these interventions. Um, and, and then elect people that, that uh, you know, people that are ethical, people with competence. Um, it may be difficult in some areas, right? Uh, because human capital is spread unevenly. Uh, there are municipalities where you don't have technical skills and this and that. Uh, but this new district municipality is meant to enable exactly that, to to facilitate transfer of skills across uh, layers of government. So if we can do that and have local people, hopefully uh, locals have been hurt enough to a point where they will make new choices. They will elect different people instead of the same mediocrity. Hopefully. But, but the thing is, based on what you know, and based on what I know, I think based on what we all know, is that political brands are very strong, which is why election campaigns are fought the way they are, and this is why voters behave the way they do, even against their own best interests, which is, you know, it, it is one of the failings of democracy, perhaps. Well, people vote based on what they get from the system. Um, some people's expectations maybe are not high enough, they may be happy that this municipality gives me this and that, um, you know, grants or free electricity, free water. Um, however, I think people are also being a little bit discerning. Uh, they've stayed away in 2016, Bruce. Let's not forget that. Yeah, true. They, haven't, they haven't made the switch, but they've stayed away. Um, the other question equally important is, are we giving them sufficient choice? Is there enough to choose from? Right? That's what, that's what needs to happen. New entrants into the competition, ethical people. You have some of that. At least perhaps this election will provide, for the first time, will provide a wider choice from which electors can, can, can elect. 
We haven't spoken about Herman Mashaba. We haven't spoken about Musi Maimane, two key figures in the previous Democratic Alliance. I mean, let's wrap up with views of them and whether or not they perhaps come in and make a difference. Herman Mashaba has been spending lots and lots of money um, trying to paint the country green. And I think he's been quite successful, certainly getting attention, whether or not that attention translates to votes and whether or not Musi's independents get any attention because they're not affiliated to big brand politics is yet to be seen. Do they have an impact? I think they do. Uh, Mashaba, Mashaba did well as mayor um, yeah, in Johannesburg. Uh, he, he spoke the kind of language that appealed, I think, to a lot of middle-class folks, law and order, <laughs> uh, and, and cleaning up the inner city. And then some of these things are things that the ANC had been talking about, but the ANC was a little bit scared to pursue them because they seemed conservative and right-wing. Um, but he spoke common sense, law and order. We have to clean up, take over, take back the buildings uh, in, in Hillbrow and areas like that, uh, that are serving as, as uh, concentration of crime, clean up those, provide people with, with housing. So that those kinds of messages and, and his uh, energy, I think resonated quite well with residents in Johannesburg. And, and for that reason, I think people might just give him a second. Musi as well. Musi is, is, is capitalizing on, on fatigue with parties. Um, and also because I think most people realize that Musi went, meant well. Um, he has a different kind, a different vision of politics in his head and he's trying to push that through and, and he's not willing uh, to stay where that doesn't happen, right? He's not, he's not willing to sell him sell himself short is sincere. So that kind of sincerity, I think people appreciate. Um, but then it will also depend on the kind of candidates that they put forward, right? Um, are these credible people? Are these people who are in it for the long haul? Because some of them I think are celebrities or something like that. And with celebrities, you see, they always like limelight. So if this person doesn't loses, for instance, or something like that. Are they going to stay to remain in politics, in activism, or are they just there for the cameras? And if they don't get enough attention, will they pull out? Because if they do pull out, then they're, you know, strengthening, consolidating the cynicism that people have already about politics. So, so Musi and Mashaba, I think, stand a good chance. But with Musi, it depends on the candidate that he puts forward. But I think Mashaba, of the two, Mashaba has a far greater chance of getting a lot of votes in Johannesburg. Professor Mkubisi Ntladana, thank you very much indeed. Uh, and Bailola, back to you at Command Central. Prof, thanks very much indeed. Cheers. <laughs> thank you, Bruce and Professor. When it comes to politics and the future of our beautiful country, one would love to have a crystal ball. But without one, we hope that this session has helped you gain a glimpse of what the future holds if we take control and become an engaged society ready to cast their votes so that our future may be prosperous and peaceful. A skilled and trusted advisor can be invaluable during these uncertain times. They can provide objective insights and help you consider alternative scenarios so you can make considered rational decisions on your wealth and insurance portfolios. If you have an advisor, I encourage you to engage with them and if you don't, please get in touch with us. We welcome your feedback. So please communicate with us and be sure to register for our next exciting speaker in the Think Big series. 
where we will be talking to Yanni Durant, Chief Executive Officer of Remgrow Limited on the future of business and opportunities. Thank you for joining us for this PSG Think Big series podcast. Please do look out for more titles in this series.